0: Proverbs chapter number 12 and uh, I've been reading in the book Proverbs all day today encourages my heart I love the book Proverbs amen the book Proverbs like a can of Pringle chips amen you just one right after the other amen and they're just so delicious you, you just can't hardly stop amen and uh, but thankfully at the end of the book Proverbs you've got more than an empty Pringles can amen Proverbs chapter number 12 tonight. and I'd like to begin reading at verse 17. And I'll be honest with you, with the book of Proverbs, it's, it's hard not to begin mid-thought. Um, and so we're going to be forced to do that tonight. Uh, there is greater context to what Solomon has been saying in this passage. But I want us to just notice these seven verses tonight. We'll say a few words about it and then go to the house. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 17. The Bible says, He that speaketh truth. "...showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. There shall no evil happen to the just." But the wicked shall be filled with mischief. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Pray that you would use it, Lord, mightily in our hearts and minds, that you would give me clarity of thought and words as I speak tonight. But above all, Lord, that the Holy Ghost would speak clearly to our hearts, that which is most needful. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you've done. We thank you for who you are, for being so good to us, God. Help us to be faithful to you. Lord, we love you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Solomon takes pen in hand and begins to write to his son Rehoboam in the book of Proverbs. And he wants to impart to him some wisdom uh, that can guide him through his days. Uh, uh, It's almost a variable potpourri of different Bits and truths of wisdom concerning every nook and cranny of life. But there is a theme that seems to run through the book of Proverbs that stands and looms larger than any of the other things that Solomon speaks about. And that is the theme of truth and falsehood. He begins in chapter number one by telling uh, and teaching his son how to apply his heart to wisdom, how to gain the truth, where to go to, uh, to get truth and, and how to apply it in his life and how to share it and teach it to others. And over and over again, he returns back and draws from this well of the ideal of the truth. Now, it ought to be, and I trust that it is so, I believe it to be so with all my heart, that every time I stand up here, I preach truth to you but I want to preach about the truth to you tonight. And by that, I don't mean in the sense of uh, of a symbolic uh, terminology or name regarding something, but I mean the ideal of something that is absolute and actual and factual, and about our relationship to truth and how we talk to one another. I'll tell you, a lot of the problem in our society today is there is little to no regard for truth. It just really doesn't matter to most people whether what they digest is true, and whether what they give to others is true. It's shocking when you live in society today, and we're we're really, you know, we're we're living in this sort of ideological PTSD where we don't even know who to believe or, or whether even to believe our own eyes in front of us in the world that we're living in because we are so surrounded by spin and manipulation and propaganda day in and day out. But do you know that you and I as believers, we don't just possess the antidote to that. We are the antidote to that. It ought to be that people look at our lives and see an example of what a person of truth looks like. A person that values truth above that which is expedient or advantageous. A person that values truth above money and prosperity and power and wealth and popularity. But someone that has high regard... Now, you and I know that uh, if for no other reason, the simple fact that the truth is what saved us and transformed our lives ought to be enough to give us a fidelity to the truth. But Solomon deals with some of the reasons why it's important that believers live a life of truth. And by living a life of truth, I mean living a life of integrity where all we speak is truth. Where we strive to speak truth. It's not just something we incidentally or passively do, but we are deliberate in wanting to make sure that everything we communicate is as accurate as it can possibly be. Now you might say, well preacher, uh, this be good, preach down at the homeless mission or preach down to jailhouse, but we're saved folks. Did you know Christians can lie too? <laughs> I've always been struck by this notion that, uh, you know, people have that when a person gets born again, they're never going to uh, do any of the things that were ever associated with their life prior to that. And I've always thought to myself, you know, why would God give us the Holy Ghost if we didn't need help living holy? Why would he give us the church if we were just automatically any and everything that we ought to be from the moment that we got up from the foot of the cross? No, the truth is there are many believers uh, that have little regard for the truth as well. And so Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll get to Proverbs here in just a moment, but let me read two verses by way of introduction. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's talking about putting away the old man, putting on the new man. And he says this to believers. He says this to believers. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, Paul's writing to a group of, of, he presumes to be saved, born again, spirit-indwelt, New Testament believers. Uh, He, of course, had a major part in planting the church at Ephesus. And it's apparent when you read through the book of Ephesians that Paul doesn't have deep abiding doubts and concerns about their relationship to the Lord. He believes and knows and understands them to be saved. But still, he's writing to these believers and saying, put away lying." In other words, even as believers, if we're not careful, we will develop a casual attitude towards truth such that is expedient and advantageous. And that really is what Paul's dealing with. He's talking about the world's perspective on truth and what we as believers should have as our perspective. And let me just make this passing comment. Hey, even Christians have to be deliberate in telling the truth. I promise your flesh will condition you and convince you to believe that you can twist and turn and bend the truth in such a way that will give you an edge or a leg up, but that is never the case. And Solomon's words, they sound down through the ages about how vital it is that we be people of truth. I'm going to tell you something. One of these days, truth's going to win out. One of these days, him that is the truth is going to sit on a throne of truth with a scepter of truth And one of these days, man, it's all going to come out. So we might as well go ahead and live truthful lives. Paul said to the church at Corinth, we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. In other words, we can't change the truth. We might cuss at it. We might scream at it. We might howl at it. But it don't change that the truth is the truth. So we better learn how to reckon with the truth. We better learn how to live in truth if truth is such a paramount aspect to the believer's life. Solomon employs in this passage uh, sort of a literary tool that he uses over and over again uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. And it is the tool of comparison and contrast. And Solomon will make a series of statements that are connected to the ideal of truth. He's not just speaking truth, but he's talking about truth as an ideal. And he will compare truth and falsehood. And that's what I want to preach on tonight, truth and falsehood. Notice these, uh, you're going to get scared when I say, these seven things and then we'll be done. Uh, You'll notice we've only got seven verses, amen. I promise we won't be long. Verse 17, Solomon says this, He that speaketh truth... Showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Solomon begins by shooting over the bow and just striking out immediately at the heart of the issue. And he deals with the importance of our words and what we're communicating to the world around us. Let's read it again slowly. He that speaketh truth. So in other words, when you choose to communicate truth as opposed to any of the alternatives, and all the alternatives are lies, but however we want to categorize those alternatives, when you speak anything other than the unmitigated truth, uh, the Bible says this, he that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness. In other words, truth is the expression of what righteousness looks like to a world that is unrighteous. I said a moment ago that we are the antidote. And I don't mean to inflate our sense of self-worth. But you know, Christ used this same concept in the New Testament when he talked about the salt losing its savour. And he said that if the salt loses its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's fit for nothing but to be cast into the dunghill, to be trodden underfoot. In other words, he's saying this. Salt, if it's not different, if it does not change the environment it is placed in, it is essentially nothing but dirt. It has lost all value and all meaning. And likewise, in your life and in my life, Part of the reason Christ left us on this earth is that we might be salt and that we might stand in, in, in direct contrast to a world that is drunk on lies and deception. We could, of course, communicate this and, and correlate it to the idea of the Lord Jesus and, and our testimony for Him, but we really don't even have to go that far. We live in a world where everything is measured by what is expedient and advantageous. Truth has become and, you know, we we can blame it on the Marxists, but you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, Satan, he 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 with forked tongue proclaimed truth to be relative, that really all it was about was what it could do for you. And now we live in a society where the rotten fruit of that corrupt tree is falling to the ground all around us. And our society is unraveling as people now regard as true only that which can benefit them. That's why we hear this terminology a lot. People talk about my truth. Well, they mean that when they say that. (laughs) Let me give you a good piece of advice, man. You ought to listen to the devil's crowd. They're telling you, they're telling you legitimately. They're telling you what they think. They're telling you what they believe. They're telling you what they feel. You can believe that, they, that it's a Freudian slip. You can believe that they misstate it. But no, they're telling you exactly how they view the world around them. And when they say my truth, they mean that the same way a person might say my slave or my servant. They're saying I have taken and I have broken truth and I have saddled it and I have used it as a beast of burden to my purposes and to my intentions and ambitions. And that's the world around us today. We'll see here in a few moments why that can work. But let me just say this. A lying tongue is but for a moment. If we didn't have such a short attention span in society, we would be more immune to that sort of deception. But the reason it has so much uh, mileage and so much uh, uh, effect and so much ability is because we have such a short attention span. We don't pay attention longer than 20 minutes, so we don't notice that the lie they told today is different than the lie they told yesterday and the one they told the day before. And so uh, the words that we speak literally communicate what righteousness is. They stand like a diamond against a velvet backdrop in stark relief against a world that is drunk on lies and deception. But now look at the converse side of this. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. Has it ever dawned on you that you are communicating to those around you a manner of living by how you talk to people? When you speak to people and they see you in the integrity of your heart, telling a truth that very often is going to harm you more than it's going to help you, they see what righteousness looks like. They understand that there is an absolute truth in this world that is not geared or or curated towards that which will help you or further you, but rather has value and meaning beyond how it might advance your agenda or your self-interest. You know, the opposite's true when people see us bending the truth. We use this term. We talk white lies. We use the term white lies. We'll talk about little mistruths and bending the truths. And all those are the... Uh, The invention of mankind to try to justify what is really peddling and trafficking in in falsehood and in deceit. Uh, This is one of the things that I think is so essential for us as parents in dealing with our kids, man. Our kids need to see what truth in a life looks like. If we bend the truth, if we warp the truth, if we create for them a false reality that is not truly reality, they'll grow up with little regard for truth. And let me tell you, they'll plug right into that system. They'll swim right along in that stream that the devil's got flowing through society today. They will look at our lives and decide what truth is and what truth does based upon how we treat the truth. So this is no small thing. That Solomon is speaking about. He talks about the importance of our words. Then verse 18 he says this. There is this speaketh like the piercings of a sword. I've met folks like that. But the tongue of the wise is health. He says a word about the impact of our words. And he says that we can view our words as, as being sort of a weapon or being a medicine. We can view them as something that is wielded to cut others, or we can use it as something that is meant to bind up the wounds of those around us. Many people have been hurt by thoughtless conversation. I Listen, I, I've, I, I've only pastored for 12, 13 years, but I've, I've been in church my whole life. And some of y'all have been in church longer than I've been in church. And how often have you seen people hurt, devastated, Not by malice, not by spite, not by cruelty, but by thoughtlessness. See, the truth is, when we regard truth as being a small thing, we'll begin to get reckless with the words that we speak. We'll begin to not think carefully about what we say. And me and my wife, we we both, we get frustrated about this all the time. We talk to each other about it. Uh, How frustrating people are not deliberate in the things that they say. People just expect you to intuit or to somehow telepathically learn the things that are floating through their mind. How many times have we hurt others because we were just careless in what we said? You realize that the things that you say have the ability to cut people down, to devastate and destroy them. And you may say, well, preacher, I didn't intend that. Well, you may not have intended. But that doesn't change the impact of your words. Every so often we'll tragically hear some story about some toddler, some child gets hold of a firearm, doesn't know what they've got. And very often if it's been left out carelessly, they, they take it and you've heard of accidental shootings, I have, things like that happening. That child didn't intend to hurt anyone, but it didn't change what actually happened. And listen, we like to say the good, the, you know, the road to hell and good intentions, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your intentions, what are your words communicating to those around you? You know, the converse side of that is true as as well. Your words have the ability to breathe life into those around you. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I have, man. I've had my entire day changed, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, by the things that people say. I've had great days, some of my best days that God absolutely wrecked whenever somebody came up to have a conversation. And then I've had days of, of, of discouragement and defeat and disheartenedness days of depression, days when I didn't feel like I could go on and somebody said something and it was exactly what I needed to hear. I'm saying you may not regard your words as very important, but that doesn't mean the people around you don't. And this is why it is so paramount that we regard the truth closely. Look at verse 19. He says this, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. He speaks then about the integrity of our words. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean integrity? Well, how lasting they are. You know, I said a moment ago that, uh, if we had a longer attention span, they couldn't get away with all they get away with in society. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, has been the enemy of the modern media there, I don't know if you know this, you may not care, it may not interest you, but there has been for a long time a website on the internet called the Wayback Machine. Anybody ever heard of the Wayback Machine? Anybody? The Wayback Machine, all right, I got a few. You you didn't know if you wanted to pitch in on my side or not, did you? It took you a minute. That's all right. (laughs) He pitied the poor preacher standing up here, amen. But uh, the Wayback Machine, it catalogs, takes images of websites. And so you could go to this website and put in a date and a time and and put in a web address, and you could see exactly what that website looked like at that moment in time. And this became the bane of modern journalism's existence as they began to stealth edit articles and try to rewrite history. Now they've even gotten to the Wayback Machine. There's things you can go and look on the Wayback Machine that they've took off the Wayback Machine. They own everything. You understand that, right? And... uh <laughs> The reason that they do this, they don't want anybody paying attention. You know why? Because a lie only has so many hours, so many days, and so many months. Sooner or later, that lie is going to be exposed. I take great encouragement from that in the society that we live in today. But you know, all of our words are one day going to be called into account and called into question. See, here's the great thing about speaking truth. You don't have to change it. You don't have to change it. You tell the truth, you don't have to qualify it, you don't have to quantify it, you don't have to characterize it, and you don't have to change it. It just is the truth. It's amazing, the, the you've heard the term big lie before, it's amazing the big lies that have been promulgated in our society today. And with this adoption of, of, of moral relativism and ideological relativism, There are concepts that we have known to be true. I'm talking about for millennia that have just been cast aside. And we have understood this to be fundamental to the human experience that if something was once right, it's still right and it will always be right. You want your life to have eternal impact? Live in truth. Truth is eternal. You want your life to count beyond just the days of your sojourn? Live a life of truth and it will. See, the fact is there's great peace of mind, and Solomon will talk about this in the next verse, but there's great peace of mind of living a life of truth because you don't have to run around trying to figure out what lies that you need to cover up and revise. He talks about the integrity of our words. And then verse 20, he talks about the influence of our words. Verse 20 is a verse, it's easy to read past if you're not careful. He says this, deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. But to the counselors of peace is joy. Now, two verses ago, he talked about the impact of our words externally. But now in verse 20, he talks about the influence of our words internally. And he is noticing a trend in life. He's examining the world around him. And he said, you know, every one of those that imagine evil, we live in a day where evil is imagined all the time. Uh, Much of the evil that is is common in society today is the product of the devil's imagination and man's imagination being always evil continually. There are levels of depravity and warpedness, things that you can't even tie to some desire or impulse of the flesh except to defy God that have become mainstream in our society today. And here's one of the things Solomon noticed. He said, you know something I've noticed? All those people that imagine evil, they've got deceit in their heart. It began when they had a low regard for the truth. We use that term white lie because we imagine that lie will remain white, innocent, stainless. But the truth is, when we yield ourselves to a world of relativism, then there is no end to that slippery slope. I mean, you understand we're on the cusp and have been. You look back through society over the past, maybe about 60 years, and the things that don't even make people blush today at one time were scandalous in society. And there's things to, listen, I promise you, I mean, we're we're just, we're maybe 10, 15 years from pedophilia being mainstream, being legalized. Bestiality, it's all kinds of depravity becoming mainstream, legalized, accepted. I mean, there's things that, you know, the the abortion crowd that said, oh, well, safe, legal and rare and all this nonsense. Uh, You know, people have been telling folks abortion is a satanic ritual for hundreds of years. And they were always just tut tutted. Ah, you're being hysterical. the, the, The Church of Satan just got through in Arizona opening an abortion clinic for religious abortions. I mean, listen, this is not small stuff. And where did it come from? It came from an attitude of relativism around the truth. This is why, by the way, it's so important that you have a Bible and that you know that you have the Bible. Because when you will yield yourself to a worldview that says, you know, well, maybe if it's right for me, but not right for you. And really all that matters is the experience in the moment and there's nothing absolute. There's no there's no brakes on that wagon anymore. There's no way to stop that. And it really, had it not been for the influence of the gospel upon the West for as long and as deeply as it had been, we would have got to this place a lot sooner. Europe got to this place a lot quicker than we did. The fact is, there is no stopping it. Now, you say, oh, preacher, well, that's terrible and society's wicked. When's Jesus coming back? Let me just import this into your life for a moment. When you begin to play casually with the truth, there's nothing you won't do. You say, oh, preacher, there's things I wouldn't do. No, it's just a matter of time and circumstances. This is the reason that when a person is a liar, you can't trust him with anything. A person that a lie will steal. And a person that will steal will do just about anything. And the fact of the matter is that all begins with this attitude of expediency. It matters not what is true. It matters what I can get away with. And Solomon is warning of the danger of this. And he says, you know, when I look at society, the most wicked men, they all have something in common. They all have deceit in their heart. All they care about is what they can get away with. But he says, you know, I've noticed something else. He says, I look at the counselors of peace. I look at men that desire for peace to prevail. I look at men that have a high regard for the truth. And when I peek into their heart, you know what I find? He said, I find joy there. We have this inversion taking place here where deceit is a seed that bears out the imagination of evil as a fruit. But then from the external to the inside, those that are the counselors of peace, those that have high regard for the truth, it produces and fosters and cultivates joy in their heart and in their life. I tell you, it's no wonder when you look at at people that very often reach the apex of whatever their field is and sadly they take their life. And I don't laugh at that. I don't mock that. I wish they could find the grace of Jesus Christ because they don't have to end their life Uh, in that way, and and they don't have to end in that emptiness and that darkness and despair. But very often, the reason that that happens, they thought all this stuff was going to fulfill them. They reached the very apex, the height of it all, but they had no joy in their heart. And some of them, it's no wonder that they take the direction that they take considering the things they had to do to get to where they're at. I don't know if you realize what it takes to be successful in this country. I ain't just talking about owning a hardware store. I ain't just talking about owning a car dealership. I'm talking about the people that run our society. I don't know if you realize what it takes to get to that place. I mean, you understand. For a long time, it, it was assumed that powerful men did depraved things. What we're beginning to understand now is that the people that hold power force those people to do depraved things to let them to the upper tier of power that they're in in the first place. I mean, you understand that that, that's a blackmail ring. That's what that is. And the things that people had to do to get to these places, it, it is astonishing. But, you know, by the same token, those that just simply commit to walk and live in truth, they have joy in their heart. It's no wonder after they've walked in such darkness that they can see no other way out. But can I tell you this? You don't have to go that direction. If you'll live a life of integrity and truth, you can live with the joy of the Lord in your heart and in your life. You may never have what they have, but guess what? You'll never have what they have. You'll have something far better. I see the influence of our words in verse 20. In verse 21, it's a fascinating verse. He says this, there shall no evil happen to the just. Pause there and read the book of Job. All right, just pause there and read the whole book of Job and then come back and pick it back up. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. I'm going to use this phrase. He talks about the insulation of our words. You could probably also use the term the inoculation of our words. You remember what the inoculation was, right? Give you a little bit of a disease to build up an immunity so that you under your body could process. And, you know, back when and uh, <laughs> when I read verse twenty one, I'm struck by how on the apparent face of it, the first half seems wrong. It seems incorrect. It seems incorrect because of all that the rest of the Bible says. Now, when you're faced with something that seems incorrect in the Bible, you can do what the heretics do and cut it out of your Bible or change it. Uh, but I think that's a little self-serving and self-aggrandizing. It's easier instead to recognize I must be missing something about the application of this. I think Solomon was a man who understood that bad things do happen to just people. I don't know if you know this. He was the most learned man ever to live by his day. He'd probably read the book of Job. He probably knew bad things happen to good people. So what then does he mean? Well, here's what I think he means. And and actually, let's just look at the last half to explain it. The wicked shall be filled with mischief or bad things befalling. I don't think Solomon is saying here that if we live in truth, we will never experience bad things. I think rather what he's saying is for the person that lives in truth, the bad things that occur are not bad after all. In other words, Solomon is saying that evil things do happen to just people, but there's a just God that presides over those evil things. And that for the just person, when they come into a time of trouble or trial, they can face it with confidence, boldness and faith in a just God that's presiding over their life. When he says the wicked shall be filled with mischief, what he's saying is this. The just man, tons of bad things may happen to him. But he takes it in stride and he trusts God and he lives in faith knowing that God reigns over it. By the same token, the wicked man, every bad thing that happens to him won't be misfortune, won't be, this is the world's term, bad luck, but they will ascribe it to some hostile and and, and angry entity. In other words, let's use this term, paranoia. When you live in truth, I remember, man, my pastor was this way. My pastor was the most guileless <laughs> and sometimes naive person you'd ever meet. I, I grew up, the church I, I grew up in is in a rough part of town, and it wasn't rough when he started the church in 1952, but 1952 is a long time ago. <laughs> and uh by the time that, uh, you know, 2002 comes by, you know, it's changed a lot. And uh people would come through wanting to bum money and wanting to ride and this and that, and somebody come, and he'd just, he just just, he'd help them any way they wanted. He'd give them money. He'd put them in their car and take them somewhere. We used to get onto him. them. We used to say, Brother Bob, you're going to get yourself hurt one of these days. We began to realize the reason that he treated people that way, he he viewed the world through his own prism. He wouldn't have hurt anyone like that. So why would he expect them to hurt him like that? And I found this to be true, that, that very often paranoia and a deceptive spirit can go hand in hand. I'm not saying it's noble to be naive. I'm not saying it's laudable to be ignorant. But I am saying this, that if you live and have a casual relationship with the truth, if you lie, you're going to think everybody's lying. If you manipulate, you're going to think everybody's manipulating. And one of the devastating effects on society and living in such a warped world that we're that we're living in is the cynicism it's bred in us. You say, preacher, how can I combat that by walking in truth? See, here's the thing. You don't have to keep up with all their lies as long as you're living in truth. You really don't. You know, and and I understand we all have sort of a sick fascination. The same thing, I guess, it makes us slow down at car wrecks, at seeing what's going on in the world around us. But I'm telling you, if you want to be able to unplug your spirit from the wickedness and corruption of society, Walk in truth and you won't have to keep up with all their lies. It won't matter. This one gets caught. That one gets away. It don't matter. One of these days, God's going to catch them all. This one, this one got into power. This one got booted out. This one got a billion dollars. This one got thrown in jail. It really doesn't matter. Walk in truth and you'll be freed and liberated from a lot of that anxiety and obsession. By the same token, when... Things happen in your life. You'll be able to process them when you know you're walking in truth. You won't have to look back and wonder if it's something that you did that brought it on or caused it. You'll be able to live in confidence. I see the insulation of our words. Look at verse 22. It says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Ah, it's just a little white lie. No, it's an abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are his delight. I see the inspector of our words. And I just remind you that one of these days we're going to give an account. Uh, if, if there was no other reason, this should be enough. That it, it grieves the Lord when we treat the, the truth lightly. It grieves the Lord. By the same token, you want to make the Lord's day? Hey, listen. Deal truly. Deal truly. That's what it says. They that deal truly are His delight. You want to delight the Lord? Walk in truth and in integrity. And we come to verse 23. I want to mention this and be done. Solomon says, a prudent man. Now, he's not just talking about a truthful man, but he's talking about a prudent man. A man that has wisdom and discretion. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. (laughs) Now, wait a minute, preacher. You done got into the next sermon to preach. I thought we was all talking about telling the truth and being open and being forward and and forthright and transparent. Now Solomon says that a prudent man concealeth knowledge. Can I tell you an important truth about the truth? Those that live and traffic in truth recognize because they know the impact and power of truth, they understand the context, the moment that it's important to disclose truth. Notice the word that Solomon uses here. The heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. In other words, a foolish man will say anything. A wise man will say the helpful thing. Never to the point of bending or twisting or trespassing upon the truth. But you were told this as a young child by your parents, no doubt. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You understand, particularly going back to verse 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Because your words have such impact, you shouldn't cast them out cavalierly. There's been men that I've known in my life that were smart. Brilliant. Then there have been men that I've known in life that weren't smart, but they were quiet and it made them seem smart. Some of us would seem a lot smarter. If we just talk less, we don't have to get smarter and we don't have to earn no degree. I say me most of all. We just have to learn to talk less. In other words, those that have a high regard for the truth because they know the impact and power of it will be careful in parsing what they say to those around. See, I used this word earlier. Deliberate. Deliberate. We live in a world today that is a glut of information. It's everywhere. Words and and, and information constantly being showered upon us at all times. And if we're not careful, we will begin to adopt that same mentality. Instead, we should recognize. And by the way, it's interesting when you look as an example of this at our Lord and Savior. Have you ever noticed how there's nothing pointless that he ever talked about in the Gospels? Sometimes I've said pointless things. Sometimes I've said dumb things. Sometimes I've said something and then thought, why did I say that? But you know, there's not one occasion of the Lord saying anything that was not impactful in all four Gospels. Everything he said was deliberate. So here's what I want to challenge you to do in your life. Be deliberate in the truth, but also be deliberate with the truth recognize that the things that you say are literally shaping the futures of your children, the marriage that you have, the friendships that you have, the co-workers, your relationship with them, and can literally make the difference in eternal destiny for people around you. So I challenge you to this question. Have you handled the truth? People say, oh, preacher, I'm not a liar. Here's what I want to ask you. Have you handled it lightly lately? Have you handled it in a cavalier way? Is there something maybe you'd have to go back to and go to a person and say, you know, the way I said this or the way I presented this, maybe it's something between you and the Lord, a lack of honesty and and candidness with him. I challenge you to be deliberate in the truth. And then beyond that, make it your mission to be deliberate with the truth, to be salt, to be a witness, to be an impact in the world around you. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the preaching, to the message. But most of all, I want you to respond to the Lord tonight. If he spoke to your heart about something, would you meet him in this altar? Father, I pray that tonight you would have your will and way in these next few moments. I pray that you'd be glorified. And I pray that any heart that you've touched on and dealt with, that they'd yield to you, Lord. I pray they'd not fight you, resist you. But I pray, Lord, that they'd meet you in this altar and they'd get that business done with you. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name.